Back in the 1980s, there was a minister in the Episcopal tradition by the name of Terry Fuller. Father Fuller had left the parish ministry and had gone into the academic world and then was called back to serve a congregation. So he writes a book and he tells the story of the first time he was back in this congregation in Darien, Connecticut. And he said that the congregation responded so well to his worship. He preached a sermon and it was on love. And everybody was so moved by his words. And I'm sure many of you all have had this experience. They also kind of breathed a sigh of relief. Phew, we got a good one, right? We want a preacher that can preach well. And so as they left that day, they shook Father Fuller's hand and said, Father Fuller, thank you so much for such a lovely sermon. Father Fuller, welcome. It is good to have you here. Thank you for your inspiration. The second Sunday, he came back. And when he got up to preach, he preached the exact same sermon again. (laughs) And the congregation was a little put off, but they said, you know what? It was a very good sermon, so we deserve to hear that again. Are you taking notes? No, okay. (laughs) Right? And so they left again, and they did that. They said, Father Fuller, thank you for such an amazing sermon. You've touched my heart. And once again. So he came back the third week, and he preached the exact same sermon again. Now the elders were not so amused. And so the deacons got together in a side room of the sanctuary and decided to send in one of their most prominent elders to speak to Father Fuller about this issue because they were concerned. And the elder came to Father Fuller and said, Father Fuller, you have preached the same sermon three times in a row. And before that deacon could go any further, Father Fuller said, that's right. And when we learn this one, we're going to move on to another. (laughs) Okay? My friends, that is education. That is education. Sometimes we believe, because we are an innovative people, that education should be that thing that is brand new. And yet, one of the greatest learnings that I have had in my life is that education is sometimes that lesson that we have to learn again and again and again. So I have you put that kind of in your back pocket, because today we are. We're talking about education and learning. And before we get into that, I would like to tell you a little bit about my story so that you can kind of see the framework of how I approach this. So I actually was born into the United Methodist tradition. And when I hit college, and you can kind of figure out what decade, you know, I won't go into that. When I hit college, I thought for sure I was going to be a United Methodist minister. I thought for sure. And then I I read the Book of Discipline, which is the law book for United Methodists. And it said, as you all might know from watching the news, that our our gay and queer brothers and sisters cannot be clergy. And that bothered me because I had friends who I knew who would be amazing ministers and I could not understand this faith that did that. So I decided that I could not enter a faith that would kind of go in that journey. So I decided to go into education. 
I became a religious educator of a congregation in Newark, Delaware, and at that point, found my calling. I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is what my spirit craves. This is what my spirit loves. There's something about learning and working with people as we learn that fed me, and I could watch the people being fed as well. And so, by accident, I found my calling. It's not what I thought it would be. Now, later, I actually, my theology also evolved to a place where I did not believe in the Trinity. So I left the United Methodist Church and and went from being a Christian educator and in 1999 actually became a religious educator and started serving congregations in the Unitarian Universalist tradition starting around 2003, and I have found my home. So I keep learning and I keep talking about learning because it's really important to me. And one of the reasons that it is so important to me is because the places in my life where I have had the greatest transformation have been learning experiences. Learning was at the foundation of that transformation. Now, that might not be true for everybody, but it is my personal experience. And I bet each of you can look back and think of some learning experiences that you had. And you went, wow, I went through some major transformation at that point. Just think back for a moment. One of them for me was back in 1989 when I went with a group of friends and people I did not know to the border of Mexico and the United States and spent two and a half weeks learning about the complicated issues of that border. The issues are a little different in this decade, but not by much. I learned a great deal and it put me on an interesting path of social justice. The learning fed my action. About two decades later, I traveled in China with Heifer Project International and did some amazing learning around a different culture that I had never experienced. And I also learned more about poverty and community and the dignity that people have in those communities. And it also turned me again into a new way of being. Just think inside for you, what have they been? You see, learning is one of those things that is incredibly valuable. Now, one of the things that I have been doing this this weekend with the congregation, which has been absolutely amazing, and I want to thank everybody who has participated thus far. Okay, raise your hand if you were at one of the Friday night, Saturday morning, or Saturday night, or Saturday afternoon workshops. Look around. Do you see your learners? They have been working on this whole idea of what is education and how does that play into this transitional process that you all are in in the midst of ministry. Because education is a valuable part of that. And so we've been playing together and talking together. And in that, the core of what we've been talking about is heritage. What is the history Later on, we're really focusing on our identity, who we are right now, and our future, but the history is important. And Reverend Sam's work with the history wall ties right into that. 
You see, religious education history helps us to understand who we are today. So I want you all to take this as a learning. How did we get to understand education in our Unitarian Universalist tradition as we live and breathe it today? Why do religious educators like myself and like others take the form we do? Here's a history lesson. Let's go back in faith. Let's go back in time to where it is that maybe education started to bubble up in religious communities. You can go back thousands of years. Some of the places where I have marked it have been back as far as in the Hebrew scriptures of our Jewish brothers and sisters in the Torah, in Deuteronomy, the Shema, which says, teach your children well. There is amazing things wrapped through the Jewish scriptures that date back to 1700 BCE that tell us that education was an important part of the formation of that religious community. And those ancestors are our ancestors in faith. Even if we don't have direct lineage, Unitarian Universalism comes from Christianity, which was born out of Judaism. Do you see how we're tied together? Go about 1,700 years further up, and this new um, religion called Christianity was born. And out of it, a leader by the name of Jesus. Anybody hear of him? Ever heard of him? You don't have to believe in him to hear of him. So. And so here's Jesus, who was called rabbi. Who here knows what rabbi means? Teacher. Teacher. See, I knew that there'd be out there. That's right. Teacher. Teacher. And if you ever read the Gospels about this man called Jesus, you will not only see the lessons that Jesus taught and how important learning was, you'll actually see some pretty amazing teaching methods. Any educators out there looking for creative methods for learning, you can actually go back. Parable and story. We use parable and story to teach, right? Experiential learning. It was all there. Now, let's jump up another 1,600 years. 1517, a pivot in the Christian church, a major turn, the Protestant Reformation. A, a minister, a priest, actually, by the name of Martin Luther said, the way we're doing church is wrong. It's corrupt. It needs to change. And, he, and this is important for us to know because this change influenced who we are today. So pay attention. Okay, so at that point in the church, all the information is to go through the priest to the people, right? God speaks to the priest, and then that message goes to the people. If the people have something to say to God, to the priest and up. It's bottlenecked. Right, And that's where the corruption ensued. And Martin Luther said, no, that is wrong. Everybody has access to God. That was the basis. It gets a little more complicated, but that was the basis. And Martin Luther was not alone. There were many leaders during that time who were doing this. Right? So he actually pushed against that institution to break it up. 
So here's what's interesting. Two major things happened at that time. One of them was the invention of the printing press. So with the invention of the printing press, coupled with this great revolutionary act of saying, hey, everybody has access to God, now all of a sudden, things are starting to open up and people are going, hey, wait a minute, I think that's true. It was a rough couple of decades, probably a century or so, it was pretty rough. But the printing press meant that Martin Luther and his colleagues' word got out and it also meant that more Bibles were printed. The literacy rate jumped. People now had a reason, a better reason, to learn how to read. And they had access to reading. And so now, all of a sudden, here are people who are learning more and more. Shortly after that time, people started to come from England over to the United States. It wasn't the United States yet, but to that whole land, right? And as they did, they came because of freedom of religion. So this whole idea spread up into those European countries like England, and those people, like the Puritans, came over to this new land, and they started new congregations, so let's now jump to the 1600s, just, a, just about a century after the Protestant Reformation. And guess what we found in the development of those Congregationalist churches, those first churches? This idea that every congregation should have two ministers, a minister of proclamation and a minister of education together. We have a document that is a part of the Unitarian Universalist polity that captured that movement, and it's called the Cambridge Platform. Who here's read the Cambridge Platform? Now you know your church nerds, okay? Okay, you see them? Yeah, because it's not an easy document, is it? You know, it's not. But I highly recommend. And there's several sections within the Cambridge Platform that talk about this minister of education and minister of proclamation. There were two on staff at all times. And because, thanks to the research of a 1910 to 20, kind of in the 1920s, um, theologian out of Harvard by the name of Virgil Phelps, who went back through all the church records of that time, we now know the job descriptions of those two. So one of the things we know, for example, is that they were both of equal status, okay? One wasn't the boss over the other. We know that they both had very specific duties. So the minister of education was to interpret the scriptures and did a lot of research. In fact, the job descriptions would make sure that they weren't overburdened with so much work so that they didn't have time to study. They had to have time to study. The minister of proclamation interpreted that word for the people. Now, why is this important? Because they were the congregationalists that helped us form our polity. We are congregationalists as Unitarian Universalists. We come from them, maybe not in theology, but in the way we are structured. Now, here's the interesting thing. That dual minister idea of the minister of education and the minister of proclamation 
started before the Cambridge platform was written in 1648. And shortly after it was written, about two decades or so, that concept started to die out. And by 1723-ish, if I remember my date correctly, there was no longer a minister of education. There was just a minister. That is an important thing to know. Now, let's put that with the next step, okay? Now, I'm picking out certain parts of history to help weave a story of how we get to today, okay? So, here we've got the Minister of Education, Minister of Proclamation, and now we have just the Proclamation Minister, who is also doing education. They've kind of been melded into the same. At the same time, a great movement called the Sunday School Movement started to bubble up. And when it did, it didn't start to teach religion, it started to teach literacy, math, basic skills to poor children and adults who did not have access to education. Robert Rakes out of um, England was one of the great leaders, and one of the stories that is told is that he actually went to all ages and said, we want you to have this opportunity to learn. Come join us at Sunday school so that you can learn to read and to write and to have math. And the adults said, I'm too tired. I'm too busy. I have too much going on. But here, take our children, take our youth. We want them to have these opportunities. That is one of the key reasons why religious education and the Sunday school movement was more focused on children and youth. And that has, still has influence today, doesn't it? And then, after that, schools became universal, and the universal school movement kind of popped up. And so they weren't as needed as much because our government and our society started to take on education as an important part of who we are. And that's where the transition to religious education became a part of the Sunday school movement. So it was a really interesting time. Now, we have a Sunday school movement, some of which we see in our congregations today, correct? And now we move up a, a couple of centuries into the 1900s, and we run into a great leader in the Unitarian movement by the name of Sophia Lyon Foss. Anybody hear of her? She's amazing, right? Okay, so she then says, your movement is dying. Your Sunday school is dying, and I can tell you why. You are not meeting the developmental needs of our children and youth. And she did some writing, she taught, and she helped to develop a whole new way of doing Sunday school that helped us to understand how development and how to be appropriate, and it flourished. And we still honor her today because that was a gift we needed. And at the same time, out of that gift, came a curse, and that is, is that we separated children out so far that now they are no longer with us in worship, and we have funneled this idea of education to children. So I challenge you today to think about this. I want you to see the blessings and the curses that have come from these great leaders. Not because they did anything wrong, but because we started to interpret them in very different ways. 
Sophia Lyon Foss brought to us this whole concept that education needs to be developmentally appropriate, and she was right, and we need to keep that in mind. And at the same time, we need to remember that children, youth, and adults are learners. Maria Harris in Fashion Me a Papal says, the congregation is the curriculum. We are all learners. We are all teachers. So it's not about us and them. We in worship, they in education. It's about all of us learning together and worshiping together. Now, there still should be times that we are with developmentally correct groups, children in, in groups where they can learn with each other, etc. And there needs to be times when we are all together. Our history has led us to segregate education and proclamation. And now I encourage you to start thinking about how can we bring this back together? My friends, you all have got the energy, you've got the bones. I saw great things over the past couple of days. The possibilities here are endless. Live into it, struggle with it, feel that tension, and don't see it as a bad thing. See it as something that will help you to become a better Unitarian Universalist people. Thank you for having me, and blessed be.